Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Good morning. My name is Ed. For those of you who don't know me, I'm campus pastor at Sherman Park. It is a blessing and an honor for me to be here to not only worship with you, but to share and break the bread of God with you. Every day, we drive over bridges, go through tunnels, we walk under power lines, because they're everywhere. And you probably hadn't even thought about it until I just mentioned it. We have gas running into our homes. Electricity is powered throughout our homes. And while driving on the interstate, we assume that everybody else knows how to drive. They may have a license. That doesn't mean they know how to drive. <laughs> Thank you. I got an amen. You know, I, I used to live in Mariana, Arkansas. It was about 60 miles from Memphis, Tennessee. And we would go to Memphis very often because the mall there and the shops there were closer than in Little Rock, which was about 100 or so miles away. To get there, we had to drive over a, a, over a bridge. This bridge was a long bridge, and it would take us to downtown Memphis. And a few months back, might have even been a year, I'm not sure, but it, it wasn't like two months ago, we heard that they had to close that bridge down because of cracks that were getting so bad that they were afraid that the bridge would collapse while people were driving on it. They said the cracks came from being hit by a barge, and that barge might have been hit a few years earlier than that. So I had never heard that. My wife, Carlene, had never heard that, but we drove over that bridge regularly and never batted an eye, never thought twice about it, even though the danger might have been there and might have been worsening by the day. It's the same with lawyers and with doctors. We trust them and we take them at their word and we let them into our lives and into our worlds to do the work that they promised that they could do. We trust and we put our faith in so many things. If I was to just pause in the accident and just be quiet and just ask you guys to take out um, pencil and paper and to write down all of the things that we take for granted, that we put our trust in, my sermon would be over because we would still be writing. There's so many different things we put our trust in. But it's not blind faith. We believe that these guys went to school and that they learned through extensive training of how to be the best that they could be. So there's, there, there, there's some faith in substance that we have, and it's not just blind. But we still do put our faith in all these things. And here's what I mean. I have never driven up to the edge of a bridge stopped, got out, and demanded that the engineer come to me and prove to me that this bridge is safe before I crossed it. Anybody? Lights and eyes, I want to make sure I see. Okay, so everybody's like me. We just do it, right? We, we, we just drive over it. 
because we trust that the person who built it knew how to use safe materials and how to mix them right. You know, they've had to tear buildings down because they mixed the concrete too thinly and it would crumble. Matter of fact, just a few months ago, maybe a few months, maybe one month ago, in Florida, remember these buildings, they just crumbled. But those people were living in that building trusting that it was going to do what it did yesterday. It was just going to sit here and let me make use of it. But with that bridge, I just drove over it. You drove over it. I retained the lawyer. I trusted the doctor to put me under and to do whatever he thought he deemed necessary to do. We seem to have this unconscious and unlimited faith in the things of man. Well, Jesus wants us to have that kind of faith in him. So let me, let, let me, let me throw one thought out there for you. Through it all, I believe. Through it all, I believe. In the story, the finishing of the story that we're getting ready to look at today, there's sorrow in there, there's sadness, death, there's loss, there's grief in this story, but there's also hope, faith, and there's a miracle. As we've been going through the book of John, we have already seen six miracles. Water was turned into wine in chapter 2. Remember that? The nobleman's son was healed in chapter 4. The impotent man was restored in chapter 5. Two miracles happened in chapter 6. He multiplied the loaves of bread and the fish, and then he walked on water. And then in chapter 9, he cured the man that was born blind. Now, at this time, as we look at today's scriptures, Jesus' death on the cross is only a few days away. We're in chapter 11, and we're looking at verses 28 through 44, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The resurrection of Lazarus was designed to strengthen his disciples' faith. And unless you are not one of his disciples, the raising of Lazarus was designed to strengthen your faith and mine. Well, our faith in what? That he's the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And he was doing this in the midst of strong opposition and rejection from the Jewish leaders and some of the Jewish people of that day. So, Last week, we talked about Martha, and she said this to him. If you had been here. That is, that is not a word of rebuke. It's not, if you had been here, me and my brother would still be alive. It's, it's like, I know the power that you have, and if you had been here, you have the power to make sick people unsick. I believe that my brother would still be here. So not a rebuke. It was a testimony of her faith in his healing power. After she said that, Jesus said these words. I don't know if it's going to come up on the screen or not. I don't think it has been. There it is right there. That's it. No, I'm sorry. There's nothing here. Right there. There it is. <laughs> he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the fifth 
in a series of seven I am statements of Jesus. But let me give you right now before we go any further a couple of resurrection facts. No resurrection or eternal life exists outside of the Son of God. Time is no barrier to the one who has the power of resurrection and life. He can give life at any time and from anywhere. Martha was looking to the future. Knowing that Lazarus would rise again, she said it herself, but she was saying eventually in the big day of resurrection, and I'll get a chance to see him again. But in the midst of Martha's grief, she did not hesitate to affirm her faith in this man who was standing before her. She used three different titles for him. She called him Lord, she called him Christ or Messiah, and she called him the Son of God. And in that conversation, she said these two words. She said, I believe. When I study, knowing the tenses of some of these words helps me to understand better what is being said and what I read. Like when you, when you read a word and you know that it's talking about something that happened in the past, you know, not to relate it to right now. Or something that hasn't happened yet, you know, okay, um, I, I can look forward to that. Well, the words I believe are in what's called the perfect tense. And what that means is it's a fixed and a settled faith is what she's saying when she says, I believe. She's really saying it this way. I have believed and I will continue to believe. This is the kind of faith we need always, y'all, but especially for when tragedy hits our lives. And so now with that, we come to today's scripture and the conversation with Mary, Martha's sister. Let's look at verses 28 through 32 first. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha tells Mary that Jesus, and she called him master when she, when, when she told her sister Mary, wants to see her privately. So what did it mean for her to call him master? It meant that she understood who Jesus was. She understood him to be the son of God. But those who were mourning with Mary saw her leave and they followed her. They weren't invited, but they followed her. Jesus opened up the door for them to see the miracle as well. He was leading them where they had no mind to go. He does this for us throughout our lives as well. There are always opportunities for us to be led to a higher level of faith if we would simply go there. But how often do we not see it? How often do we miss 
those opportunities because the daily rigmarole of this world, of this day, this time, this moment keeps us so bogged down with what's happening right here that we don't have time to come above it all to see if we can sense that there is something from God. Take a moment and rise above it and look for a lesson or a blessing from God in all that happens to us. The question is, is do we recognize his hands on our lives? You know, we don't even think about the engineer who built the bridge or dug the tunnel. We just drive over it or drive through it. Years ago, I don't know, some of you guys might remember this, a bridge in Minnesota collapsed while people were driving. Remember that? Yeah, while people were driving over it. And people died from it. Lawyers miss opportunities to state your case every single day. And doctors make mistakes. They're human. They are not infallible, but we still trust. People let us down, and we still have faith. Jesus wants us to grow to a faith unlimited in him. The difference is he will never let us down. Okay, so Martha has told Mary and she has left to see Jesus. Mary does a very God-honoring thing when she gets to Jesus. She gets to him. I'm just going to get down. It says she fell down. I am not falling in front of y'all. I'm not doing that. And I'm only going to get on one knee so I get back up. Is that okay? <laughs> so, so she gets on her knees and she pays honor to Jesus. She does something for him that no ordinary man deserves or gets. She gives him the honor that's greatly above what most people get. He didn't act like a king. He didn't look like a king. He didn't expect any accolades that a king would expect. He didn't have this entourage around him. He just looked like a normal guy. She fell at his feet because she was convinced that he was the son of God. So my question today is, are you convinced that Jesus is the son of God? Are you convinced? I mean, that's, that, that's a good question that we ought to ask ourselves. Or am I kind of, well, he, I, I think he is. I go to church, so maybe he is. And, you know, I, I, I believe it now. But when something bad happens now, see what he did? I, I, I don't believe it anymore. Are you convinced that Jesus is the son of God? Because there may come a day when we might have to prove it. I'm glad it's not here and I hope it never comes. But if it does... Are we so serious about who we are in Jesus Christ that we are convinced that he is the son of God to where there's nothing you can do that can change my mind about that? There's nothing in this world that can take me back down here to where I cannot see above what's going on, trying to keep me occupied to where I cannot see Jesus Christ for who he is. Are you convinced that he is the son of God. This lady right here, Mary was, but her faith was limited because she limited his power to having to be there in order to raise Lazarus from the dead. If you had been here, you could have saved him. Not raise him from the dead, to keep him from dying. My mistake. When Jesus saw her weeping and the people who followed with her, 
he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You know, back in those days, it was customary and normal to hire some flute players and some mourners to come and mourn with you to pay homage and respect to the loved one that you lost. Jesus sees this large group of people weeping and wailing and just going crazy because the more we cry, the more honor we give the person who has died, and they're just going crazy over it. And he became deeply troubled in his spirit. He was moved with grief over the pain of someone losing a loved one. As Michael Bruce wrote, in every pain that rends the heart, the man of sorrow had a part. So basically, he has endured and felt every pain in the human experience. But if we dig a little deeper into this letter that was written in, in, in Greek, it would show them an incredible picture here of them seeing Jesus weeping. They believed that God had no ability to feel any emotion at all because whoever can cause you to have an emotion, they believed that that person had power over you, at least for that time. And so since nobody can have power over God, then he must be an isolated and compassionless God that doesn't feel anything so that no one can gain any power over him. That's what they believed. And so Jesus here is giving a different picture of God, one whose heart is full of anguish over the pains of his people. When a storm of any kind comes into our lives, God's heart weeps over the anguish that you and I feel. He cares for you. He cares for me. Now, I'm just going to read verse 34, and then we'll take a look at verses 35 through 37. Verse 34 says, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And so verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, but that says the most of all of them, says Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Unlike the crowd weeping like crazy, Jesus cries silent tears. Oh, that God could cry over our anguish. Not crying because, because Lazarus was dead, though, because, because we all know that he is getting ready to raise Lazarus in a few minutes, so he's not crying over that. His grief comes from death coming from a fallen world trapped in sin, of which all of us have played our part. Every one of us is guilty of something. Every one of us has lived a lot of our lives under here and have not been able to clearly see like an eagle who rises above the storm and it doesn't bother him at all. A chicken is way down there in the storm going crazy like this. An eagle rises above the storm and he can see very clearly. The Bible in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 says, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You and I need Jesus to be able to feel our pain 
and understand the difficulties of this human life that we live. And you say, why? Thank you. I'm glad you asked. Because if Jesus was just an emotionless God who only followed the rules, your only choice is hell. You don't have any heaven as an option because he would just look at the facts. Sin deserves eternal death. And since Ed is sin, Ed deserves eternal death. But to actually get a chance to come down here and live on this earth that is influenced by sin and we were born in sin and he has felt our pain, he has compassion and he knows what we go through. And just so you know this, and I'm sure you already know this, Jesus is the mediator between God and you. And you do not want a compassionless Jesus to be speaking on your behalf. Should we put him in heaven or hell? Well, let's see what the book says. That, that is not who I want. I want a Jesus that says, this guy, yeah, he did this and he did that and he was weak in his sins and he messed up over here and he messed up over there. His life has just been full of trouble. But before he left this earth, despite all of those troubles, he put his faith in me. And that is good enough for me. He deserves to be in heaven with us. You want a Jesus that feels your pain. You want a Jesus that has compassion over the human lives that we have to live and the influences that we have to deal with. But there will always be people who don't understand speaking the loudest and the boldest. So in the crowd, they're questioning, why couldn't he keep him from dying? And they probably were shaking their head like this too. So we have people who trust Jesus but don't fully understand because their faith is limited to what they know at that time. And that's, that's where we all are. We only can have faith in what we know. But Jesus is always pushing us to go beyond that. And then we have people who are discrediting him because of what he hasn't done in their time. And with all of these mixed emotions, let's look at verses 38 and 39 and see what they say. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, might not want to do that. By this time, there will be an odor. He has been dead four days. So she knows he's been dead four days and that he's really dead. Jesus approaches the tomb, groaning in himself again, because now he knows that what he is up against is death, one of the enemies of God. And in the minds of these people who are standing around here, they believe death has the upper hand because Jesus allowed Lazarus to be dead for four full days. And he did that so no one would question whether he was dead or not. There was a belief back then that for three days the soul would hover above the body waiting for an opportunity to go back in. But after four days or on the fourth day, after three days, there was no chance. And so now the person was really dead. So Jesus waited four days so that nobody could come up with an excuse of why Lazarus uh, woke up. But Mary understands that he's been dead four days and that he is really dead. And 
and tells Jesus that her brother is smelling by this time, even with the spices that they wrapped him in. The King James Version says it, and to us, what is a funny way, it says, he stinketh. Say it with me. He stinketh. Oh, there we go. Okay, so it, it does sound funny, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yes, it does. Mary is looking only at the physical truths of the solution, and she is not looking anywhere past that. All of us have done that. We look at the situation, and we don't know the answer, so how can you look beyond anything that you don't know? So I get that. But know this. I'm getting ready to say something um, that might sound like blasphemy at first. Well, just bear with me. The incomprehensible power of God is reduced by her limited knowledge and faith. Wait a minute. I'm getting up and I'm leaving. He just said the power of God is reduced. Yeah, I've said it. Yeah, I've said it. But here's what I mean. You cannot reduce God's power, but... You can stop him from blessing you if you don't meet the condition. So I want to bless you, but you have to come by faith first. And so then if I don't come by faith, then he's not going to bless me until I come by faith. So I haven't really reduced his power, but I've, I've gotten in the way of his free blessing on my life because of something that I needed to do, but I didn't do it. Like, for example, what if Abraham had not left? Where would his life be? Would we be reading about Abraham or would we be reading about another man? She sees no immediate solution. He's been dead four days. He stinketh. <laughs> that is kind of funny, isn't it? Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. So Jesus has already told her enough to strengthen her faith beyond what she believes. Hasn't he done enough for you? Hasn't he done enough for me to where we can believe beyond whatever our level of faith is? Can't we look above only what we see and anticipate who Jesus is? Listen to this. Your faith opens the door for God's power, his mercy, and his goodness to be displayed towards you. He always has the power to do anything he wills. But if he gives a condition of faith before he acts, he won't act until we display that faith. So our unbelief causes us to miss out on God's blessings that he would love to give us. There's a verse in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, that spells it out. Listen to this. And he did not do many mighty works there. Okay, why not? Because of their unbelief. Not because he couldn't do it, because they didn't believe. And it took faith first. If he does everything to prove to us that he is the magician that he says he does, then we don't have anything to have faith in because now we know all the facts. He is not a magician trying to prove anything to us. He is God that is looking for our faith and our trust in him. And as we put our faith in him, then he displays more that we can have faith in. And that's how it works. He doesn't tell us the whole story and say, now do you believe me? He just says to Abraham, go. I'll show you where to go when you get there. 
And Abraham said, okay, I'll go. Not knowing anything, just knowing that God, somebody bigger than him, had told him to do something. That's what he's looking for from us. But this group here, this group is blessed because his goal is to show the raising of Lazarus so that their faith may grow. Look at verses 41 and 42. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus starts his prayer with thanksgiving. Father, I thank thee. He didn't petition him for anything. He didn't say, Father, will you do something for me? Because he knows that he and the Father are always in harmony and that he is serving the Father because of his dual nature as fully God and also fully man. He understands that the Father would never refuse him anything because of the harmony that they share. The reason for the miracle was to authenticate his claims to be Messiah, the Son of God. Remember when Elijah had that epic battle with the prophets of Baal? Remember that? This is, this is what he prayed. Answer me, O Lord. So right away he's saying, Lord, please answer me. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I thank you that you always hear me. He already knows, but Elijah is saying, answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. You can find that in 1 Kings 18. So now as we move on and we look at verse 43 in today's, today's scripture, we see that it says, when he had said these things, when he had had his talk with God, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He didn't touch Lazarus. He didn't do anything physical with him at all. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. So in case you don't already know this, here's what you can learn from that. The voice of Jesus Christ gives life. Isn't that good to know? The voice of Jesus Christ gives life. People actually say that he specifically said Lazarus comes forth because if he had not, everybody dead would have gotten up. If he had just said come forth, everybody that had died would have gotten up. But it's like he said, no, 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 not y'all yet, just you. <laughs> So he says, Lazarus, come out. And with just a word, verse 44 says this. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. All, all who were there witnessed the glory of of God, a dead man rises. But this is just a preview of the power that's going to be fully displayed in the final resurrection when all the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and will live again. 
all, maybe you don't know this, but everybody is going to be raised to eternal life. But where you spend eternity is up to you. It's dependent on whether you know Jesus or not. This is a good illustration of what happens to a sinner when he trusts the Savior. Lazarus was dead. All sinners are dead. He was decayed because death and decay go together. All lost people are spiritually dead. But some are more decayed than others. Nobody can be more dead than anybody else. Lazarus was raised from the dead by the glory of God, and all who trust Christ have been given a new life and lifted out of the graveyard of sin. I'm going to show you a picture of a guy. And just take a look at this man and keep looking at him while I read this story to you. What are your thoughts about him, though? Before I read about him, what are your thoughts? You know, who is he? What kind, of a, what kind of work does he do? What kind of a man is he? What kind of character does he have? Where is he from? And whatever other questions you might ask. But while you're asking that question and you're looking at this picture of this man, just know this. Your picture could be up there. My picture could be up there because this is just a human being just like any other human being ever born. This man right here is Tokichi Ishii. Tokichi Ishii had an almost unparalleled criminal record. He had murdered men, women, and children in the most brutal way. Anyone who stood in his way was pitilessly eliminated. Now he was in prison awaiting death. While in prison, he was visited by two Canadian women who tried to talk to him through the bars. But he only glowered at them like a caged and savage animal. Arr! In the end, they abandoned the attempt, but they gave him a Bible, hoping that it might succeed where they had failed. He began to read it, and having started, could not stop. He read on until he came to the story of the crucifixion, and he came to the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And these words broke him. I stopped, he said. I was stabbed to the heart as if pierced by a five-inch nail. Shall I call it the love of Christ? Shall I call it his compassion? I don't know what to call it. I only know that I believed and my hardness of heart was changed. Later when the condemned man went to the gallows, he was no longer the hardened, surly brute he had once been, but a smiling, radiant man. The murderer had become born again. Christ had brought Tokichi Ishii to life. That's a really dramatic story of his transformation. But how many of us go through that? It has, it, you know, most stories are not dramatic. They're, it's just kind of like the normal, daily rigmaroles of life that we go through. For example, things that we don't even pay any attention to. People can become so selfish that we become dead to the needs of others. We can become so insensitive that we are dead to the feelings of others. 
we can become so involved in petty dishonesties and petty disloyalties of life that we become dead to honor. Dead in sins, though, is no problem. Jesus Christ can resurrect you. After he brought Lazarus back to life, he told them to unbind him and let him go. Now, when Jesus saves you, he unbinds us from the wrappings of this world, and we are then free to go and live a God-honoring life, trusting him for salvation. We trust the bridge, and it can fall. We trust the lawyer, and he can fail. We trust the doctor, and he can falter. But even in death, you can trust Jesus to keep his promises. There are promises of eternal life, whether you trust him or not. And if you haven't trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you may have lived a perfectly moral life, way better than me or anything that I could do, but you are just as lost as Tokichi Ishii was before Jesus saved him. It's who you know. It's not the doctor or the lawyer or the engineer or the CEO or the athlete or the musician or the actor or the you fill in the blank. It's Jesus. You must have a personal relationship with him to be blessed with eternal life with him. Abraham followed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The last words of Edward, the confessor, were these. Weep not, I shall not die. And as I leave the land of the dying, I trust to see the blessings of the Lord in the land of the living. If you haven't trusted him, but you trust in bridges and doctors and lawyers, nothing wrong with that but you're missing the next level of faith that you ought to attain. Consider putting your faith in Jesus Christ today, who will never let you down, who will never promise you anything that he cannot carry out, who will save you from your sins. And I myself, I personally look forward to the day when I hear the voice of Jesus Christ hollering, Edward, come out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. You are worthy to be praised. There is no greater lesson, no greater story than what we have just witnessed today to help us to have a stronger faith in you as our Lord and Savior, as the keeper of our souls. Lord God, we thank you that you have provided a means of salvation for us who do not deserve it. We thank you, Lord, even though we hate that it had to happen, that you put all of the punishment that we deserve on your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can have all the glory that he deserves. Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are able to rise us above the storms of life so that we can see the glory of God and that we could gravitate towards your love. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you feel anguish when we have troubles. We just thank you that you care. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.